Hello and welcome to Let's Talk, the show that connects families in Ashkosh with local experts to talk about your parenting questions. I'm Amanda Chavez here with my co-host Tanya Harrison, and today we're going to talk about reading and literacy with Kelly Steinke and Callie Shell. We'll be talking about reading and sharing stories with our kids, ideas for encouraging more reading, and when to worry about our reluctant readers. How can we fit more time for reading into our schedules? Where do we get help if we're worried about our learning readers? And how do we know if we need help in the first place? We'll talk about this and more with Kelly and Kelly. I would like to introduce our guest, Tanya, from the Women's Fund. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm going to just give a quick introduction of our guest today. Kelly is a mom of twins, twin girls, both of whom have dyslexia. Kelly began her career as a special education teacher and taught for 20 years. Kelly went on to found Read Learning Educational Services, LLC, and has been a dyslexia specialist for seven years. Callie is from the Oshkosh Public Library. Callie graduated from St. Catherine University in St. Paul with a master's in library and information science in 2019. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're so excited to be talking about this, and the timing is great, right? End of the school year, almost summer is upon us. And something I think reading, as parents, we're always trying to figure out how to do that more. Or it's always changing, right? As soon as we figure it out as a parent, then it, something changes. And having these resources, I think, are a great place to start. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about reading and literacy with Callie and Kelly. Let's Talk is brought to you through the partnership of Go Oshkosh Kids and the Women's Fund of Oshkosh. The Women's Fund of Oshkosh works to improve the lives of women, girls, and families of the communities of Winnebago County through philanthropy, grant making, and education. Okay, let's start with Kelly. Kelly, we're just talking about how do we, our kids are little or are starting that, building those habits right when they're little, right? When they're babies and What do you have tips there to start with? Yeah, so what's really important is getting kids familiar with books. So what does that mean when they're six months old? Because they're not going to pick up a board book and read. So I learned through some seminars that kids just knowing what a book feels like, what what the shape is, what it looks like, what a pretty picture is. So have a board book around. I know they're probably going to gnaw on it a little bit, but that is them getting to know what a book feels like. They can open it up and see pretty bright picture, one word. So they're getting they're getting themselves familiar with what the format looks like, even if they're six months old and can't say, hey, look, this is a book. And that's where your local library really can come in because we are trained in how to connect kids at a very young age with how to equate reading with pleasure. So what does that look like? So at the Oshkosh Public Library, we have something called High Hopes. And this is a baby and toddler time where our wonderful librarian, Lindsay, will sit down and read stories to them. She interacts with them a little bit, and then they have an activity that goes with it. So you've you've read them a story. What we love to do is do voices and singing and dancing, so that equates reading with pleasure as well. And then they get to use their hands to develop those fine motor skills or just play with each other. So I guess what it comes down to really is equating reading with pleasure And that seems like such a simple thing. But going out in the community and going to your library, we love to have kids around. We've missed them during COVID, so we're so excited. (laughs) And then 
As they get older, we do have programs like family story time. So when they've reached two or three, they've kind of hit that transition from very simple books to having a more complex understanding of concepts. So when we talk about equating reading with pleasure, you also want kids to feel confident in what they're reading. So if you sit down in story time and I'll do a flannel story and we'll identify colors, I'll ask them to count with me. Well, they've achieved something with me together. We've read a story and they've they feel empowered. They're very excited. It's always fun to see kids excited about reading. So those are a few programs at the library. And then another one that we have is High Hopes. We are transitioning the program, but it's a reading program for kids that they can take home. So it's similar to 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten. If anyone's heard of that, that's a very popular public library program. And we just have parents take home a sheet for their kids to read. They mark it off. They get a prize for... (laughs) Some incentive there. Yeah, so some incentive to read. And that's something we encourage throughout the year. So during the winter, we have wild winter read-off. Kids are out of school, but we want them to still read. We want them to still have fun. And they get to come spin a fun little wheel like Wheel of Fortune and get a prize. And then summer reading is our big, big, big program. That's our marathon for the year. And we put a lot of work into connecting with the community so that kids can come in, get prizes from, you know, maybe Culver's or the, the swimming pool. Yeah, so we have a lot of that because something that's always worried about, it's always worried educators, and we really think about it, is what's called the summer slide. Sometimes their reading levels will slide then, and we don't want to see that because it, then they go into the next school year would realize they have a little less confidence And as confidence wanes, kids are going to be more resistant to reading. And that's, we we don't want to see that, but we also understand where it comes from. We were talking earlier that sometimes, my kids are 9 and 11, right? And you forget sometimes those earlier stages. But you see a lot of people asking for books for their library for baby showers, right? And And if you ask any parent, right, we're not in that picture book like, but I can tell you what my kids' favorite one was, right? Like what our favorite ones when they were little and what are still on our bookshelf. So I like that idea of, and I, we also like to re-gift our books. We we purchase a lot of our books and it does get, it. I mean, if you add it up, right, it can get expensive or you can go to your library, but I always think it's fun to just hand off those well-loved books. A well-loved books, book, right? yeah, your favorite. Yeah. Although my kids read them, their favorites, over and over again. That they start to, now we're starting replacing books, which is, which is fun. But those are great tips. Thanks for sharing. Kelly, Any as a mom, do you have any other reading tips journey? Getting kids to enjoy reading. <laughs> you know, as, as I was sitting here listening to the conversation, my first thought that went through my mind was, you know, really making sure they have some background knowledge. So, you know, if, if a student is or a child is showing that they're really not interested in reading, you know, the big question to ask is why? You know, why aren't they interested in reading? And sometimes it's not an easy answer, like it's boring, or I'd rather be outside playing. Sometimes those answers are excuses, possibly for reading's difficult. I get frustrated with it. I don't feel smart when I read because the reading's hard. And, you know, sometimes it could be as simple as just lacking background knowledge on the book that has been chosen, you know, because our our learning occurs and pleasure occurs in our reading when we can attach something that we're reading about or learning about to, you know, previous experiences or previous knowledge on a given topic. 
I liked how you said that too, Kelly. Like finding things that my kids really enjoy. So my youngest really loves horses and finding those books and those magazines, she'll read that over and over again. And our family started the Harry Potter series. So now like we read the Harry Potter books, we listen to them. We really love Hoopla and we listen to them when we're driving so we can get some of that reading time there. And then she loves the Harry Potter like trivia magazines. And if she doesn't have that like thing that she's interested in or gravitate to she does she's not a big reader either but if it's something she enjoys learning about she forgets that it's yeah. reading right? our kids have been similar our a couple of our kiddos we have four their interests more lied in nonfiction, and for some younger readers or earlier readers there isn't as much always as interesting in those kinds of in that genre. So that was sometimes a struggle where we just got the suggestion from teachers to just still, you know, give them the book and they will, you know, we'll flip through and kind of pick out things. But if it is a topic that is more, that they're more curious about, they're more apt to, even if it's just flipping through it, they may not be gathering all of the information that's, you know, written in there, but it's something that they at least will hang on to and they'll pull out something from it. Yeah, and, you know, you brought up a good point about, you know, if, if they have an interest but they don't necessarily want to read through the entire book, you know, audiobooks are such a great, mm-hmm. you know, tool that we can use. And so if we can get subscriptions through our schools to Learning Ally or Audible or other, sometimes the libraries have, what are the books with the, the recording inside where they mm-hmm. can put the earpods in? Yeah, the, the Playaways. Playaways are yep. really fun for kids to use. So, you know, you can still grow that background knowledge, grow, you know, vocabulary, comprehension, exposure to text through, you know, listening to books. Yeah, we have used Epic before. That's a platform that we've used through school that we've, especially through COVID, we had subscriptions through that. And that was, that was helpful and useful. Not all of the the titles on there had, had audio versions, but yeah, that's a good, that's a good tip as well. Do you still do like at the library, like the CD books or have you phased those out because my kids are they're little we had to dig out and find a cd player and they loved reading those books that way too yeah and we we do still offer those and an interesting story that i very heartwarming we had a girl and it was during covid she was struggling to read and you know homeschooling it's a it's a struggle so we gave her a book with a cd and i i told her i was like why don't you put the cd in open the book and read along and her, her reading accelerated over the course of six months quite well. And her mom's like, it's because she could hear something while she was learning those words in a way that sometimes she doesn't want to hear mom's voice or the person in the audiobook. I love audiobooks. I'm actually listening to the Harry Potter ones again <laughs> because they do the voices for you. You have it in, imagined in your head, right? But to hear someone else do them, it's so much fun. And I also had a girl come in once who she wanted to love the Harry Potter books. I don't know if they were popular at school. She really wanted to get into them. She was sort of connecting with the fantasy of it, but she was having a really hard time reading and comprehending and also imagining that world. So we see a lot of kids resisting what we called world building. So in fantasy worlds, you're getting a whole new place where people live. And so what I told her, I was like, you know what? Why don't you try listening to it? Let's just see if that works. And she's like, I love those books. I just needed to listen to them. And I'm sure Kelly can speak more to that processing, that neurological processing, but there are so many ways to get your kids interested. And I think, you know, of course, I'm going to give a shout out to the library. We are experts. We're there to help guide parents. And like Tanya said, sometimes nonfiction books seem so accelerated. 
So I'll sit down with young kids who maybe they're interested in space. Well, there's plenty of books about space, but they're kind of advanced. Mm -hmm. So we talk about what they're interested in, and sometimes it's just looking at the pictures and getting to know what those things are. And my, I, you know, I always encourage the parents, just sit down and kind of explain some of this to them, even if you don't have a lot of time. When they show interest in something, we have other books they can, they can connect with as well. But that's one of the number one ways to make reading pleasurable is letting kids read what interests them because plenty of times we're, we're asked to read certain books in school and we just have to read them and that's okay. But in their downtime, kind of let them read what they want. You know, parents are always allowed to like take a quick check at what their kids are reading so it's not too advanced. But that's what I encourage the most is, and your librarians are, we read constantly. Like we're always catching up on what's the latest. So we're there to help kids understand what's best for them, maybe what's too much, but what they could aspire to. We have a lot of options for them. And I'm going to plug graphic novels. We have a lot of parents who are resistant to graphic novels because they're reminiscent of comics. I've done a fair amount of research on graphic novels. And one of the biggest things is it's another way for kids to understand what the body and facial expressions are with a conversation. So it's just a different, again, the brain processes things very differently depending on who you are. Because I know some people who are like, graphic novels, that's like reading subtitles on a movie. But some kids are like, oh my gosh, I could see how they were talking and then I could make that voice in my head. So we always want to consider when we, we think about our kids reading, everyone processes things differently and no one's going to be an expert. No parent's expected to be an expert. So you have people in your community Super excited to help. <laughs> I love that you did touch on um, the barriers of like finding time because everybody's busy. And while we know it's extremely important to make time to read with the kiddos and to really get them exposure to, to more books and to engage in that more, it can be a challenge with everything in life. So as much as we want to, it doesn't always happen <laughs> the way we'd like it to. So knowing that we all know that the library exists, but mm -hmm. I think all of these reminders about what is offered there and as well as the audiobooks, again, we know that those exist, but just a, another reminder of those are helpful because that's just one more, one more touch point that we can get kids connected to and hopefully build that interest. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. one of my child's teachers told me one time, which always stuck with me, I think it was when she was in third grade, it was like that, she didn't have a lot of homework, but her homework was to read that 20 to 30 mm -hmm. minutes a night. <laughs> and I remember sitting in a conference, and she was like, are you getting your reading in? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And she, she must have read my face, but she was like, okay, you don't have to get the 20 to 30 minutes even in one sitting. And I was like, oh, <laughs> even just like thinking to find that chunk. She's like, if it's on the way to school and they're paging through a book, that counts as reading time. And that like expectation or that like mom guilt yes, of <laughs> to get that in and I love that idea that you said too I think as a parent and in the traditional world I think okay reading has to be this chapter book and I think it was that same teacher that was like hey graphic novels are reading still that's okay because I thought oh my kid isn't doesn't love reading but she doesn't love reading those big chapter books or the books with no pictures and and finding those other non-traditional ways of reading still counts as reading mm -hmm. there's or still fostering still that valuable. love of reading yeah. and also reminding people that listening to audiobooks is reading we try to drive that point home because like I think that's kind of a newer concept but yes listening to audiobooks is reading because it's a way of processing that information and it's also you can stream them in your car you know like I 
I'll always give a shout out to Hoopla. Um, that's what we use through our library. Other libraries will use Overdrive or Libby. Um, they're free apps. You just have to have a library card and you can download the books you want. I love Hoopla because the Harry Potter books are always available. <laughs> yeah, we, we went to, we had a, I mean, we were paying for a service and then I found the Hoopla and I was like, this is amazing. So our kid, we've been, we also like the illustrated versions of the Harry Potter books because mm-hmm. they have those pictures ever once in a while. And, and we follow up with the movies. So my kids like, which is their new favorite thing is we finish reading the book and watch the movie and they love picking out everything that the the movie didn't have right so the whole movie we got to pause it and talk through things and process that stuff but it's our way that it was like something we could do together too I was talking with a friend the other day and I was like when did we stop that like we we read with our kids on our lap before bed and then all of a sudden you're you're out of that phase and I was like Whoa, when did that stop? I don't remember when it stopped, but finding those connections with our kids still are important as they're getting older. But that's how we've been connecting. So if we have a reluctant reader, what would you guys suggest? Like maybe some of our first tips or what should we look for if we're finding some reluctancy with with books in general or reading in general, if there are specifics that you know we start to see as parents or that our teachers notice that we can kind of watch for? Uh, I, you know, I can speak to that a little bit. I think, you know, the elephant per se in the room here is dyslexia. And that's a conversation that we can't, you know, avoid when we're talking about reluctant readers or having trouble with reading. Everything we've said in this conversation is all good and wonderful. But what if, what if a child can't figure out how to sound out words? You know, although they've had great parents who have read with them, not perfect parents, but, you know, parents who do support their children, they've had good teachers, and yet they can't read. And I, I think, you know, the neurodiversity in our brains is, is a really wonderful thing, and there are different brain wirings for how we acquire, you know, language. And if you see a, a real great reluctancy in a child with their reading, and it persists, over time, I think number one is, you know, don't wait too long until you start, you know, looking for signs and symptoms of dyslexia, because it is the most common reading disability out there. Research suggests that it affects 15 to 20 percent, you know, of our population in general, and that will differ in severity from mild to moderate to severe to profound. And when you look at our high-needs populations within our schools, our title reading programs, our special ed programs, our, even our students in our RTI system, our response to intervention, who need extra reading help, you know, research has shown that upwards of 80% of those students are going to be struggling with the reading because of dyslexia, whether that's diagnosed or not. And some signs to look for, you know, I I do have a resource on signs and symptoms to look for that will probably be, you know, made available to those who are listening to this. But, you know, if you start at the preschool and kindergarten level, you're going to look for clusters of symptoms. You know, I don't want to alarm parents, you know, it's, it's not one or two things, but look for clusters. Look for children having great difficulty differentiating between left and right you know, switching handedness. Maybe they appear to be ambidextrous. They can't choose a dominant hand. Possibly difficulty tying shoelaces, difficulty remembering the sequences of letters in the alphabet, 
unless they're singing the alphabet, you know, that singing does help. You know, chronic ear infections are actually one sign of potentially, you know, dyslexia. Uh, Difficulty remembering how to spell their name. Difficulty remembering anything really rote, you know, rote memorization. Difficulty pronouncing words, you know, correctly. Remember when my daughters were young, this is actually one of my favorite memories of dyslexia, though it was somewhat frustrating for my girls at the time. You know, a grasshopper wasn't a grasshopper, it was a hopgrasser. And a sandcastle wasn't a sandcastle, it was a canned sassel. You know, and our lawnmower was always a mow lawner. You know, so you're going to pick up on these nuances to their language where there's just kind of an overall confusion over our language. But most of all, if you're looking for dyslexia, in a young child, you're going to see that they're just not connecting their letters and sounds. Or if they do, it's taken light years, you know, to get them to connect their letters and sounds, way more repetitions than maybe a sibling took, you know, or their peers are taking in the classroom. Or once they get those letter sound correspondences, they just can't seem to blend words together. It, you know, the, the bus kind of stops there with those letter sound correspondences. And, and that points towards an issue with phonemic awareness, like phonological processing. And, you know, some of these things, these characteristics may go away as the child gets a little bit older, but some will certainly persist. So in, in first through fourth grade, you're going to see problems with reading fluency. So, so their reading may be choppy, inaccurate. It might not be quick enough for them to comprehend what they're reading. And you're also going to see them guessing in a lot of words or replacing, you know, synonyms for words. Because just because you have dyslexia or the characteristics of dyslexia doesn't mean you're not smart. In fact, dyslexia can affect, you know, any intelligence level. But by and large, these kids are smart. So they're going to substitute in synonyms for words because they're compensating. You know, they're using compensation strategies when they're reading to get around the fact that they can't sound words out. So, you know, the the characteristics kind of go on and on. You will not always, but often see reversals too in letters and or numbers. And that's a big one that I get a lot. You know, parents will call in and they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so, my child's teacher, you know, did mention they have a couple reversals still. They're in fourth grade or fifth grade, but they said that's pretty, pretty normal once in a while for kids to have that problem. You know, and parents will say, oh, is that normal in fourth or fifth grade? Uh, no, it's, it's not. And in fact, issues with spelling and issues with reversals are very indicative of a learning disability. And reversals should be cleared up by the end of first grade, if the child's had two formal years of schooling in terms of writing. Now, COVID kind of, you know, put a wrench in our plans here. So, you know, another common question is, is my child struggling due to learning loss? Or is my child struggling due to dyslexia? Or are they struggling due, due to both? And, you know, to that, one quick insight is, okay, well, let's say they lost a year of reading instruction in school, are they still making year-for-year gains, you know, even if their, their level is lower than where they should be? Because if they're not able to pace a year-for-year gain, then there might be something more there. 
So I, I just gave you a ton of information to think about, and there's a ton more that I could share, but the three, three big warning signs for dyslexia are poor spelling, poor fluency, and inability to sound out words. And that will certainly make kids be reluctant readers. Do they test for that in school? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a really great question. It depends on what state you live in. Much of our country does have legislation in place to screen for dyslexia, but Wisconsin does not. So testing for dyslexia does need to occur through a private neuropsychologist or private dyslexia diagnostic. Can I ask, for those that aren't familiar with the term dyslexia, because I know... I'm aware of what that is only because I've had experience with friends and family who have been diagnosed. But I'm curious for those, especially if it's not tested within our school district and it's not a commonly used term there either. I I know that's, depending on the district, it could sort of be a word that is kind of swept under the rug a bit or just directed in a different, issues surrounding that around reading might be directed in a different conversation and dyslexia does not enter the conversation. So can you just like, I guess maybe a quick summary of what that, I know you gave us the symptoms or what to look for, but what does it mean? Yeah, well, a lot of confusion and myths are floating around around dyslexia, especially in our, unfortunately, especially in our Wisconsin public schools, because we don't have a whole lot of legislation in place to educate, inform, and, and protect our students who have dyslexia. And first and foremost, I, I do want to share that dyslexia is a synonymous term with a reading disability. You know, there are various reasons a child will struggle with reading. And some children might struggle with reading with only comprehension, but the majority of students struggle with reading in a decoding sense, meaning they can't sound out words or read fluently, you know, enough as they should. And, you know, so dyslexia is really the medical term for a reading disability and whatever they use in the, the schools will use SLD in reading, a specific learning disability in reading. And so we have to view these as one in the same, you know, whether kids are diagnosed or not, because if a student struggles because of symptomology of dyslexia, they will require a, a more specialized reading intervention, more specialized reading approach. I was going to ask about that because I, you know, there are obviously reading interventionists within the district and within schools that are there to help get kiddos reading up to grade level and, and whatnot. But if a student does have the symptoms of dyslexia, are those interventions often successful, I guess, with those who are struggling with those dyslexia-type symptoms? My guess is probably not. Those, well, those specific yeah, interventions may not be super beneficial for those kiddos. If our interventions were all beneficial for all of our students, we wouldn't be in a reading crisis right now. You know, we've got a massive gap between where our students are performing and where they should be performing. And yeah, if dyslexia, more than not, the interventions that many of our schools are using will not bring our students up to grade level in reading because the approach that's recommended by the science of reading, which is, you know, a whole field of study with multiple, you know, disciplines involved, 
uh, is a structured literacy-based intervention or something that is really the polar opposite of usually what we're using in our schools. Not all school districts. There, We do have some great you know, school districts in Wisconsin who have shifted to more of a science of reading-based approach for students who are showing the signs and symptoms of dyslexia, which is very exciting. But for all the families out there who are, are wondering, you know, what if, where do I find help? What do I do? How can I tell? You know, can I check and verify what I'm being told? I would recommend you check out the community resources page that I put together and, and shared with this team here because, you know, I actually just updated this form this morning and it's amazing. Just in the past couple years, Wisconsin State has developed lots of new organizations to support families who have students with reading disabilities like dyslexia. You know, we've got the Literacy Task Force of Wisconsin, which is an amazing organization just full of tons of resources. We also have the Reading League of Wisconsin, you know, the Wisconsin International Dyslexia Association branch, lots of different locally-based companies who can, you know, give you some guidance, you know, that you're looking for. Of course, you know, if you look at this resource and you're just still overwhelmed or, or not real sure what to ask, you're welcome to contact me, I'm sure, or anyone at the table here, you know, and ask, ask some questions and, and hopefully get the answers you're looking for. You make our job easy. Thanks, Kat. I think that rounds it off really well. I, I like that we talked about, yeah, babies and reading and little and then all the way. Is it ever too late to get help? No. I mean. No, it's never too late. No, no. Um, you know, in my reading center, so I founded Read Learning um, out of sheer need to transform lives. It really does transform lives through literacy. When you take a student who's a non-reader or a very low reader because they have a neurobiological difference, different wiring in their brain, and you know, the teachers at school haven't been able to reach them, not, not to their fault. They don't have the training to reach these students. You know, and you, you start working with these kids and their self-confidence is on the ground, you know, and they feel like they're not smart. They feel like they're dumb. And oftentimes, if this goes on too long, they start to suffer from anxiety, possibly depression, all sorts of mental health you know, issues can arise. And no matter their age, if you can get them in for, you know, a reading intervention, we can, you know, usually bring all students up to grade level in reading. Now, their fluency might not be perfect, but it's, it's a very, very low percentage of kids who will only read up to about a fifth grade level in their lifetime. It's, it's such a low percentage. I forget what that number is, but most kids, I mean, if their intellect is perfectly fine, there should be no problem teaching them how to read, provided you're using the right approach. Sure. Yeah, like parents, even after they get services or you know find help or get diagnosis, they're still like, okay, the reading level's here. We're trying to get here. What do you do in between? Like, you're gonna need some audio books for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna need. Oftentimes, I recommend like a C pen. So kids can scan like worksheets, tests, and quizzes and put their earbuds in and this pen actually reads to them. Oh, interesting, yeah. Like independence and self-advocacy. Probably, especially for older, you know, if those kids are diagnosed older, then they're already feeling so far behind and all of that. And then if they're having to be handheld the whole time and not able to, like I said, be independent with it, it's probably 
I have a sixth grade student who his reading levels come up so much since we've started working together, but we've got a little ways to go. There's still a gap. And so he he comes into his lesson a couple, maybe a month ago, and he says, Mrs. S, all right, so when I'm here with you, my reading is like really good, right? I was like, yeah, you're doing great. But when I go to school and I'm reading in like science or, or history class, why is my reading cringy? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, but there I got a great answer for you. You know, when, when you're using a structured literacy approach, it's really very much a building block process where you start with certain syllable patterns and you build up through all seven syllable patterns or six, whatever, you know, you build through all those different syllable patterns. I said, you got a little bit, a little ways to go. You know, so when you read with me, we're reading a controlled text where you're not given words, you haven't learned the rule base for, so you can read them. But when you go to school, you've got everything under the sun being thrown at you, and you can't read all those patterns yet. And it really is, for a lot of kids, like a light switch. You know, as soon as you explain the rule basis for decoding the word, breaking the word down, the phonetics to it, and, you know, we do the decoding and the encoding, the spelling side and the the reading side, it makes sense. And they look at you and they go, why why wasn't I told this years ago? You know, so this particular student totally made sense to him why his reading was cringy at school still. He's got a little ways to go, but his family ordered him a C-pen, you know, which is a great tool especially for an older student who needs to develop more, you know, self-accountability and independence, and they don't always want someone leaning over them, reading to them, you know, in front of your entire class. And this is a tool where, you know, the child will scan the text. It's really not for whole books. It's for worksheets, tests, quizzes. They'll put their earbuds in, and this cool little pen tool will read exactly to him what he scanned. I wonder if do any school districts utilize those? I feel like that should be a, I mean, maybe that's not allowed, but I feel like for some. It would be a pretty cool tool for school districts here. You've got to ask your assisted tech teams at your schools, you know, if they can access those or purchase them for some kids. I know it's it's kind of a higher end product. So sometimes schools have other resources that they try to use, but CPEN's pretty cool. Interesting. So the CPEN, Pen sounds great. Do you have resources or tools for families with limited incomes or are, who don't have the financial resources to afford something like that? There are a couple organizations in Wisconsin. So Bright Young Dyslexics is a really cool nonprofit in Green Bay. They do a lot of fundraising to provide like technology assistance with purchasing some of these products and tuition assistance for private like tutoring, tutoring type sure. services. Leaders Supporting Readers is another organization, a nonprofit that does some fundraising to support those needs as well. If you guys, ladies, know of anyone else, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be aware of more. I think it's another, com- we'll have to record another podcast later, but it's that yeah. fine line, right? Like if, you, if we are sharing these resources as parents, you can be advocates too of going back to your school or your teacher, right? And ask and Sharing for with your network of, of friends too and and sharing within the channel as well, I think it's probably could get a lot of conversation on the social platform about, you know, tips and things that families have experienced or things that have worked or resources that they've utilized. 
And asking questions. Yeah, right? questions, questions, questions. It's okay to ask questions. The oh, dysgraphia, I'm interested. So can a kiddo have dyslexia and dysgraphia, or can they just have dysgraphia? Both. They, they could. Oftentimes they have both, but sometimes they just have one or the other. Yes, and dysgraphia, so the common denominator is spelling. Yeah, okay. If you're dysgraphic, you're not always a poor speller, but quite often you are. If you're dyslexic, you're always a poor speller. So that's like I have, you know, if you picture a Venn diagram, the middle is your spelling, your commonality, where dysgraphia affects writing and dyslexia affects reading. Yeah. I, I'll speak to your question a little bit about speech to text. A lot of students with dyslexia or just, just learning disabilities in general will have issues getting their words on paper and the big roadblock oftentimes is spelling and grammar. You know, if a student also has dysgraphia, you know, our, our writing end of the learning disabilities, sometimes they can't even read their writing back to themselves, you know, because it's not formed nicely or the slanting is off or the spelling is so off. And in that case, yeah, it's always recommended to use some speech to text. And Google Chrome has a nice free app. It's an extension tool that you can add to your, you know, Google Doc account and it just pops up a little microphone and you can voice type. It's called voice typing. And, you know, what, one thing to be aware of is if your child is receiving a structured literacy, or, or it's also known as Orton-Gillingham, you know, based intervention, because they're not reading. Oftentimes, those kids can't compose writing and spell everything correctly at the same time. You know, it, it is a, a dual-step process, and a lot, that, you know, a lot ties into executive functioning skills as well. You know, just the ability to use working memory and processing speed and just keep everything organized in your mind while you're writing. So oftentimes, you know, writing can become a really labor-intensive activity for our students who have these types of needs, and you really have to approach it in phases. You know, phase one, let's just focus on your amazing ideas. Let's allow you to get your thoughts on paper uninhibited. We're not going to worry about your spelling. We're not going to worry about your punctuation. Let it flow. You know, a lot of times parents, you know, really need to advocate for not always having spelling and, and grammar being, you know, the way a child's work is, is always measured, but measuring their work based on their thinking you know, and their, their thought processes and their ability to convey learned information, you know, and then you can go back and take a second step and go, all right, well, how can we dial in some of this punctuation and how can we dial in some of this spelling? Yeah, super good question. We're looking forward to sharing these resources that we mentioned here with families. As always, after the episode, we'll share all the things that we talked about today from books and story times to where to find help for our kids that need more help. Kelly, Kelly, thank you so much for all of your wisdom that you shared with us. And we're looking forward to reading more about it and hopefully helping some other families with questions around this. Join us for our next episode when we'll talk about it. Visit GoAshkoshKids.com to continue this conversation. Thank you again to our guests, Kelly and Callie, for joining us. And thanks to our producer, Liz Schultz, our audio and video engineer, Marlo Ambus, and of course, to my co-host, Tanya Harrison and the support from the Women's Fund of Oshkosh. Let's talk again next month.